1: It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of For Your Innovation by Arc Invest, a podcast on all things related to disruptive technologies. I'm Andrew Kim, research associate covering consumer internet and fintech, and I'm joined by Nick Grus, associate portfolio manager, and Angie Dalton, advisor and theme developer for Arc, as well as CEO and founder of Signum Growth Capital. Today we have the great privilege of speaking with Edward Sachi, founder of Fable. Hi, Edward. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey. we greatly appreciate it if you can you know, introduce yourself and let us know how you ended up where you are today. I came to
0: the U.S. from uh, England in 2007 to join the Obama campaign, created social and data tech for the campaign. And then after we won, turned that into a startup um, and started working with... Different campaigns, administration, nonprofits, Kaiser Permanente, the National Health Service, all around visualizing big data for people in an org so that they could be more competitive and accountable. And we'd worked on the re-election and then we were acquired by the main big data provider, NGP Van, in the space. I worked for them for a little bit, but I fell in love with virtual reality. And I moved to San Francisco found two friends from Pixar, uh, a shorts director and a, um, a technical lead, and we created Story Studio, which was then acquired into Oculus and became Oculus Story Studio, a $70 million project to make virtual reality experiences and tools, including Quill, the painting animation platform. We won two primetime Emmys for the experiences we created in the Peabody. And our last piece was a Neil Gaiman adaptation, starring a character called Lucy who thought that you were her imaginary friend. So she'd talk to you guys, would do things together. And I noticed that people were having, you know, real considerable conversations with this character, even though she couldn't really respond to you in any way. And I started to really think about, you know, what does it really mean to bring a character to life? And, you know, what if we took that to the limit of AGI, where it's a true being that exists beyond you? And has its own independent life. So spun out to create Fable, whose goal is AGI, a truly intelligent person, and started to build the virtual beings community around that. So bringing together folks from Epic, a CTO Kim Library, and Lukash Kaiser, who wrote the One Model to Learn them all paper, as well as folks from Pixar, to try to create a community around AI people. 2018 to 2020, we focused on single-agent chatbots, so you're one-on-one chatting. And we unfortunately found that this is very boring. It's not much fun talking to an AI. There's very platitudinous, a lot of small talk. They don't have any real life. And so we felt very panicked of like, we bet the whole company on this? What the hell are we going to do? And we started to come up with the idea that these AIs you know, should be like us in that they exist within a context of family, friends, enemies, rivals, lovers, all the rest. And so we created the simulation. So this is an AI world only for AIs where they can live and grow and have ongoing lives. And more recently, we we had quite a lot of attention for releasing a research paper on something that we've built for the simulation, which is called uh, Showrunner and the Show One model. And that's all around infinite story. And the reason it got a fair amount of attention is because it'll it, we, we use South Park as an example and it allowed you to, just through a text prompt of a sentence or two, generate scenes or episodes of South Park based on your plot. You also could take a photo of yourself, upload it and speak for a few minutes and be a character. So, you know, I created an episode of myself, sort of a, a joke version of Fatal Attraction where I'm sort of, you know, stalking Cartman and you know he's like this guy's completely insane, and we have a big fight and all that um but we also did one with Mark Andreessen, who discovers that uh that Elon Musk has uh spirited away all of the uh top actors in the nineties, and that since then all the top actors have been deep faked, so you know basically any idea you had, you could turn it into an episode, and I think that captures the imagination around. Generative TV will come home and will say, I want this, I want a new episode of the show that already finished, or I want to put myself in an episode, or I want to create a new show. And it's going to mix together these elements. And this is the original thread of it.
3: So I think that was very exciting to people. It was certainly very exciting for us to see that it really captured our imagination, as you as you said. So I'm curious, what goes on behind the scenes? Maybe you can explain this to us in more layman's terms, but you have these AI agents running around, you're prompting them. How exactly is that working? I think most people are familiar with NPC characters in video games, and they get this concept that you can have characters... That have a bit of context to them; they have a storyline, but obviously that's all pre-built in. Your what you're doing it sounds like it's much more advanced; it's more generative. So, would love just a little overview of exactly how all of this is working within the show one and and showrunner agents as well. Yeah. So what we've seen so far in at the intersection of AI and games
0: is essentially you know, dumping an LLM into each character. You know, there's this little backstory and it's basically the same as a single agent chatbot. It's just lots of single agent chatbots. And that has the same problem, which is very boring. And I think that's why there are no games. Uh, Even though we're five or six years now into GPT, um, there are no games that use AI NPCs which is kind of crazy when you think about it, right? The reason is not that the quality isn't quite there. It's that it's not really a good idea. It messes up the pace of the game. It's not appropriate. Do you want to talk to the tavern keeper for 300 hours? It doesn't really make sense. You want to play the game to complete the quests and to do things. And creating a massive system just to make secondary NPCs talk more is not a good use of resources. So our approach is quite different, which is instead of, let's say, the nature approach, of we're gonna give all these AIs backstories, and that's gonna define their dialogue. We're more on the nurture approach of, yes, these AIs are gonna have you know backstories, but really their personality and all the rest is gonna be shaped through experience and what they're doing. And their backstory is something that they will generate through their actions, just like us. So that's how we think of the simulation, is that it's more about behavior and less about a written prompt for an individual's personality. The show one model is a little different, which is literally a model to generate TV shows um, of what's going on in the simulation plus what uh, a user wants. So that is text to scene or episode. The stuff in the simulation is operating off a different model called Gaia, which is more around behavior of AIs. So for Gaia, think a little bit about Westworld, right where, where Anthony Hopkins is interrogating the AIs saying why did you do that you know you, you you were speaking to this guest but the way you responded was very outside of your character explain that so players will be able to interrogate the AIs on their decision making and rate them on their on the appropriateness of their behavior and continuously train a model around appropriateness of behavior in simulations so you know we're 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 targeting two models On modalities that people aren't really focused on. One is behavior, and the other is uh, infinite story. Whereas people seem to be much more on what we would think of as quite granular things, like generating three-second clips or videos, or dumping LLMs into into NPCs. I don't think I don't know that either of those are the right the right way to approach it.
2: I think uh, in the Paper that Fable published, you showed this giant uh, value chain, right? That kind of describes what's happening from the simulation to the end uh, TV scenes, right? Output. Um, could we just dive a little bit deeper into like what's exactly happening after you sample certain events within the simulation? How does it actually end up as, you know, a cohesive show? Yeah. So there, w- there was some confusion about this. So
0: it's not recording, it's, you know, think about. Think about an episode of Friends, right? The conceit is that it might represent what happened in a week of the Friends life, but it's not recording 168 hours of all the characters walking around and then editing it down. And I did see that some people misinterpreted that. What we've created is is not that. It's And that would be a bad idea, because that would not lead to any kind of coherent narrative or anything particularly interesting. And I don't know Even also what the value would be of figuring out a system to edit from 168 hours to 22 like wouldn't be the right approach. So we take some things of what's been going on in the simulation, but mostly what we're, what we're taking is your text prompt of like, what do you want to have happen this week? So you kind of say, you know, this week at a high level, let's say Springfield or something, I want this to happen to Homer and to Bart. There's going to be tons of other stuff that happens within the simulation of Springfield, let's say, during that time. But you, as a user, are defining the kind of important bits. And the show one model understands story structure, A plot, B plot, you know, the core narrative. So that was a misunderstanding that I saw people had. is like, are you, are you recording everything and then trying to find story within that? And that's not the right approach. You sh- it's more about you take a prompt for the episode it understands what an episode is and understands story structure and all that and it generates the episode and then that can take a little bit of what's happened within the simulation that week but when we tried to do it purely on what goes on in the simulation like let's say you tried to make a reality tv of the sims very boring right like it's just very primitive and so that's why either the simulation generates the prompt right? And says, here's what's going to happen to the characters this week, the major stuff that's going to happen automatically in South Park's case, a mix of like, you know, what it thinks should happen next plus topicality, because that's quite a topical show, or the user does it and, you know, generates, here's the kind of major events that I want to have happen this coming week.
4: If you think about that, um, that, that human uh, piece of it there was a decision that you made Edward and I love the timing of it um, because I know there's going to be a really interesting answer here but the timing was key in that we're in the middle of the biggest strike in Hollywood in 60 years as you said and you're introducing this idea from a human perspective of this deep big technology and um, you know in in the midst of you know actors and actresses saying even if they could they doesn't mean they should Um, can you just explain kind of your thought process on the timing and then how you view IP in this context?
0: Yeah, I think in any negotiation, having the side that has more information is in a stronger position. And so people negotiating, um, without the context of what's possible, I think is very dangerous. So. I think it's it's great that, and I hope that this will provide more leverage to writers and actors, although more writers in this case, um, to say, you know, AI can only be used if it's coming from the artist, producers can't use it, um, and to fight for that. This is the moment of maximum leverage, biggest strike in 60 years, now is the time to Negotiate the best terms. And I think a lot of people are quite disappointed looking back on the deal struck around streaming 15 years ago. And had someone from streaming kind of, you know, whatever, whistle blown out just how kind of dire this could all be and explained, because people at the streamers would have understood a lot better than the negotiators on the other side what the negotiators were giving up. I think that would have been much better for for the strikers back then. So the more information they have, the more aggressively they can negotiate. That's our view. So hopefully it gives more more leverage and clearer negotiating paths to say, producers cannot use AI. Only artists can use uh, AI if they want to. If they don't, then it's not gonna get used. And that's what I would suggest is very strict bans on on AI if it's uh, not coming from the artist
4: so the purpose is to arm humans uh human artists not to not to be not to basically create episodes with protected ip
0: no it's not just that i think it's it's also about it's not just about the the particular ip of south park or something like that it's also about the entire structure of hollywood which if a single person can create an entire tv show that is massively disruptive and maybe there should be Safeguards in place for for that to be done slowly and and gradually and not done suddenly, so I think that's sort of that's what I would go for. I think there is a whole other question which you know our sense around IP uh, that that currently exists is that if the people that we're we're talking to you know do end up using the showrunner, then I would see a world where you know let's say you're a huge fan of a particular show. You would go behind a paywall. You would sign a terms of service that say, I don't own anything. I'm I'm excited to remix. I want to make my own South Park episode, whatever. But they own, I don't own anything. Just because I made it doesn't mean I own it. The IP holder owns it. I'm not going to share this outside of the paywall site on pain of cease and desist and, uh, and fines. And, but I can, I do get to see everyone else's episodes. And I do think that a thousand true fans of South Park, creating let's say ten episodes each, which would take a couple of days, maybe I don't know, they're creating so ten thousand episodes. I do think that the top ten top ten of that ten thousand would be as good as anything written professionally. So yeah. I think that is a profound shift, and I think now is the time to to control it because I think it is it is uh, very disruptive, and that's just for IP shows. I'm personally more excited, obviously, about original. So people using the showrunner. Somebody has a show Bible, they've been dreaming of getting the show made for years, but nobody says, yes, it's too expensive. or or the people I'm really excited about are the very difficult people. Maybe maybe being good artists and being a good hustler, which has always gone together, maybe they shouldn't, right? And maybe the production of TV shows and movies could be more like novels and paintings, where one... Completely insane person can express their vision. So I'm very excited about that. And so I don't want to, you know, I do hope this gives leverage to the strikers, but we're also in a different industry, right? There are two, there's there's Northern California and there's Southern California, and we're never going to be friends. And we're in a different industry, but you know, that, that particular industry I think should, that I love and, and admire, but I'm more in the tech industry. I think they should be as aggressive as possible because any producer will just think, "Oh God, we could get rid of everyone." Now, great, because they're you know the enemy. So we should we should limit them as much as possible. But I, it is not that's not our industry, and so we release this with our own interests and excitement. And personally, I'm very excited for original things to be made with this, original stories and and shows, and for one person to be able to make things which has been impossible for the last 100 years.
3: Edward I want to circle back to the more technical side because you've been building towards this release for a while. So what were some of the hurdles in getting this ready for launch and what do you think still remains in your ultimate goal of you know bringing this and allowing people to create these shows on a one-off basis where you know where are you in this in this in this journey so it all has to be animated for for a long time
0: it's not you know it's not going to work for with live action and if you're using metahuman i think it would be too ugly and, and poorly poorly animated so it's going to have to be cartoony let's say that at the bottom of the complexity pile is south park a little above that is anime or almost anime that's quite static and you know could be achievable um, above that would be something like the simpsons king of the hill futurama and then all the way at the top would be something like arcane which is a beautiful 2d netflix show I think that's many years away. But I do think in the next, over the next kind of six to 12 months, we can go from South Park to an anime level of animation, whether it's anime or not, whether it's just that level of staticness, and up to Futurama and King of the Hill and the others. Um, In terms of our present process, we are for our own benefit because we just love it. Uh, So we're not going to release this one doing Star Trek The Next Generation. Mostly because I really want Captain Picard to say, Ensign Saatchi, could you go to the transporter room and join the away team or something? And that would be so cool in an episode of Star Trek. And also, I want more episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So that's one thing we're doing, just to kind of test it out in a non-comedic thing. And also to have a simulation that's a spaceship is kind of cool. Like there were 1,200 people living on the Enterprise, civilians and and, uh, military, or I guess Starfleet. And... I think that's so cool to see a simulation of the Enterprise day by day and week by week in terms of what they're doing. After that, we're going to do three originals. One is a satire of Silicon Valley with like Mark Andreessen in the simulation and kind of going to whatever bully Peter Thiel and all these little insane kind of founders talking about uh, saving the world while stuffing their pockets with money. So, you know, we can do a little satire of that and a TV show around Silicon Valley, one that's around uh, Starship, and one that is a detective. So, those three are going to teach us about what happens when you don't have a show Bible. How do you train it when you don't already have something that exists and what information is necessary and what information is not necessary? Probably something like a kind of uh, pilot episode plus. sense an introduction of all the characters plus a pilot episode not meaning visuals i just mean written out plus like a rough kind of formula of what's supposed to happen each you know in each episode works works with formulaic shows right or like reset shows episodic right not not these shows that are like 10 pieces of a movie like a 10-hour movie which a lot of shows have now become this is more like episodic content it's more suited to that so yeah, that's the next. That's the the next path is one more, instead of a comic, something dramatic, and then three originals, and that'll teach us a little bit about uh, about you know how to how to get original shows made and start
2: working with creators to make uh, their own generative TV and their own simulations. I'm assuming uh, you kind of tested out multiple large language models and you know text to image models in building the showrunner system. I, I... Could you discuss like how modular is it today? Like, can anyone plug and play these different LLMs and diffusion models, or do you feel it's quite specific to whatever architecture you or whatever uh, third-party models you're using today?
0: Well, we're looking at at Llama. We uh, were uh, we already used Stable Diffusion for the the fine-tuned model of South Park, so that my photo could turn into me in South Park. or basically, if there, if there are characters or, or sets that don't exist in an episode, but it's in the script that's been generated, it quickly can then generate those characters and stuff. But yeah, I think, I suspect, if this is what you're asking, I suspect that, that the particular advantage of each foundation model will reduce over time and that open source will, will kind of keep up or even surpass. And so then, then the, maybe the age of the applied AI company will become more important and the age of the foundation model companies will become less important because what they've done is essentially commoditized and open sourced. But we'll have to see. I say, you know, SDXL, I think shows that you can have better than mid journey with, uh, with open source, which is a, a new, uh, a new release from, stable, from Stability AI. So I think it's I think it's a battle, it's a very exciting battle.
2: And on the language model side, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think from the paper, it stated that you largely depended on like the GPT-4 base model, since it already knows a lot about South Park to begin with. Maybe can you talk about how you envision IP holders fine tuning on top of models going forward Uh, through the showrunner system uh, what that would look like and what challenges remain
0: yeah i mean we sort of think of it as a a sort of dramatic fingerprint so obviously you have to figure out what are the core values of this ip you know what is the structure of it and you know what are they what's what's going to feel right and also what's going to feel like a, a proper episode so we found that we had to go further than what we were getting with with GPT and start to figure out kind of A plot, B plot, story structure, climax, as well as all the visuals of editing and um, and animating. I guess the objection that I've been starting to think about with runway and uh, with everything is it's not holistic and that we should all maybe stop thinking about each modality and start thinking about how to actually make a TV show, right? And all the different technologies and tools that you're gonna need to combine Language just being a small a small part of it. So I that's that's sort of where my head's been going is what exactly is the vision over the next five years that like the clip generation of text to video is gonna go from three seconds to ten or twenty seconds, but the the mouth isn't gonna match the dialogue. There is no dialogue. Right? Like, you know, there's no editing, there's no these aren't coherent. And maybe we should not be thinking about it from a Single modality perspective of text to video, let's say, but or image to video, but instead start to think about it from the perspective of a show and work your way back from that. Because understanding how to make a great show is probably more valuable than understanding how to make, I think, anyway, images and and uh, and video. Right? I mean, how much how much value are we really getting from from let's say firing all these concept artists what have you done you've saved five percent of your budget maybe three being able to actually generate an entire show and ip that's a lot more valuable so we sort of the language model i think if each studio should shouldn't think about it as just a a fine-tuned language model i think they should think holistically how do they and they you know not like how do we augment and help writers and that kind of stuff like I don't know if studios are ready to do that. That's why I point out that we're different industries. I think the Valley may well be the center of of, um, filmmaking and and TV production in the future. So I I don't think we should shy away from the fact that these are two rival parts of the state and they're always trying to kill each other and they don't like each other. So I don't know that studios are going to take advantage of this. Let's see. But at the same time, all the Valley people are always so arrogant Right. And they get onto the Hollywood and they're like, we're going to take you over. And somehow Hollywood is much older than us. Right. They've always been able to absorb our ideas, replicate them and then, you know, remain in control. So, yeah, it's an endless war. And we'll uh, nobody will really will really win it.
4: I was just thinking about the um, uh, the image that I had uh, thinking about the strike and thinking about what you're doing. And um, it reminds me of my chocolate lab. Freddie who stands in her crate with the door wide open barking <laughs> because there only they, they're, they're, there's a whole world out there of things that I think can be embraced in terms of new innovations for you know adopt for, for some of these you know old Hollywood to adapt and um, and really take continue to have that lead. And I agree with you. I feel like this shift is, is, is going to be felt pretty dramatically after seeing what you've done to Northern.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a community of artists outside of the producers. And so I think quite rightly, they're only going to be enthusiastic once they see original, exciting, dynamic art created. And there is none. All that we did was just remix South Park. All that, all that any of us see with, with runway or mid journeys you know it's it's very generic often it's little trailers Or what if Wes Anderson directed Star Wars like that is not art and so I think that really the only thing that would convince an artist of the value of this correctly is for an art kind of argument would be for something original and beautiful that makes them cry and is like wow that's a real masterpiece and we haven't done that and nobody else has so I think that's that's just the humility. Is like all we've done is create stuff that's sort of just uh, little remixes of someone else's artistic work, and but we are going to try and make original things. That's the only worthwhile stuff, real works of art. So I don't, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone's missing anything. They are correctly saying that this is just boring theft and unoriginal, and they'll be right until someone make something original that's a work of art and that's really hard so that's that's we'd like to be
2: part of doing that but maybe we'll fail just back on the question uh, topic of you know ip given hollywood if we look at how video games have evolved right we see, saw the rise of ugc right with roblox um i guess now with fortnite creative and i'm just wondering if studios Decide to kind of extend IP usage to end consumers, like you or me, kind of iterating, injecting ourselves into South Park episodes, for example. And do like, do you see a future in which you know users are not perfectly content with the IP that they've made and, and claim no ownership over it? You know, they demand a rev share on it as well, right? And, and what do you think happens to the bargaining power of the original artists if? Consumers and consumers who are creating AI derivatives, successful ones, kind of want to want a slice of the pie as well.
0: Yeah, well, there's, there's there's kind of an interesting legal case around clip shows. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but in order to maintain, in order to meet their quota of like 24 episodes a year, often shows would do clip shows, which mostly used previous clips, and originally they didn't pay anyone who worked on this. And there was a case and it was agreed that actually when there's a clip show, you gotta pay the director of that episode or that clip, plus the actor, plus all the rest. So, you know, I could see something where eventually maybe a creator gets a little Rev share, but most of the money should go to the to the original people involved. They're the ones who did it. If if you're really just remixing and putting yourself in it and for your own pleasure, I don't think that's uh I don't think that's original work and it shouldn't be compensated. As such, in terms of its artistic value, i all that I could claim for generating new episodes of shows that exist or personalization is that it's better artistically for the world than rewatching old shows that you've already seen for the twentieth time. but I don't think it's as good as even watching a failed work of original art, and I think you know the creators should be compensated in a way that is uh that's commensurate with that, which is that they're only remixing. But some creators won't do it. But a lot of fans, the ability to create a new episode of something you love, any fan would would find that amazing and wouldn't want to dishonor the creators of it, I don't think. But they could become famous, right? They're uh, the best creator. I'm going to stop creating unless you, IP holder, hire me to do it, or I learned how to do it and I got famous and attention from that. Now I'm going to create my original show. like. Many YouTubers, Bo Burnham, went from being a, a YouTuber to directing Eighth Grade, which is a terrific movie from 2015. Like, you know, th- these are these are well understood trajectories where you start off just doing stuff for free to show art to build up your reputation, so that then you can create an original work of
3: art. I have a question: just how this could extend to the video gaming space? You mentioned, you know, you don't find it that interesting to just you know, produce NPCs with LOMs behind them. But is there, because when, you, when I hear you talk about generative TV, I feel like that starts to blur the lines a bit with kind of interactive video and that's, you know, then leads into video gaming. So where do you see this type of AGI application extending itself into video gaming? Yeah, I mean, what we're creating with the simulation is basically
0: a game. And it's a, it's a 3D world that she, all these AIs live in and they interact in and they do stuff. The South Park one is top-down 2D because it's South Park, so it's a bit simpler, but we, we're big believers in 3D. So I do think gaming is huge for this, but I guess I think of it a little differently, which is Goethe said, uh, "Du must amber oder armor sign, meaning you must be hammer or anvil. And right now the games industry is being told that they are anvil. And that the AI people that said, great, they're, they hammer. They should be in charge. They should have the power and we should just uh, be their client, right? We should just give them money. But I think the games industry could be a lot more powerful than that. And that a games company might be the next open AI by gamifying training, right? Like RLHF that is actually gamified. That's fun. That is part of the story, part of the mission. And so I, I just think it's very unambitious and unimaginative to just, uh, you know have these second it is cool like the secondary characters instead of just saying, "Hey buddy, get away from me they would say like, "Hey buddy, get away from me I'm a you know I grew up out on the fields there and you know let me tell you my story and let's you know I just don't think it's that interesting we should be more ambitious and uh, a games company shouldn't just think of themselves as using AI tech we should be the leaders um, and in charge of the whole thing by harnessing the competitive will of uh, of gamers who are convinced that they will get to the quest of agi faster than than companies or academics
3: by gamifying rlhf yeah that's super interesting i'd really never thought about it from that lens i would have said you know it would be interesting to have a generative storyline so i if, if i'm a user and i'm playing in fortnite you know a lot of focus has been on generative assets and th- you know 3d models and i think that is interesting in and of itself but it's not really what we're talking about but prompting you know the map to generate a storyline for you and then you play through that i feel like that kind of aspect of it could be really interesting but what you've said i would never even have thought about it from that lens no I, i think we'll have all succeeded as the games industry when why the hell is mustafa going
0: to the white house and congress and testifying like should we stop your model? It's going to be when when you know we're all testifying in front of Congress and they're saying, "God, could we? Should we turn off your video game? It you know could lead to the end of the world." I think that's very exciting. We may as well try for it. Why should all the others be laughing as as Oppenheimer or something? I think it's ridiculous we've We know how to do incentive design, gameplay design and encourage players to do r l h f and they're good at scraping petabytes of data from the internet, let's let's see who wins. I think it's going to be very exciting. So the games industry should be much more confident and not just think, oh, we could maybe make some 3D assets. I think they should they should be the leaders.
4: could be pretty interesting to see, um, given this kind of merger of Hollywood and gaming, um, you just made me think of another thing, which is some of these smaller studios might actually get supercharged by a game company who comes in and says, hey, you don't have any Games expertise. Um, all the big guys do. We're, we have the games expertise. You have the creation expertise. Let's get together.
0: Totally. That's probably why it's okay to live in Northern California because there's not as much loyalty to another industry and city. You know, it would be cooler if this stuff was all decentralized and disrupted um, because maybe it isn't so good that it takes a committee of people to make. A movie and 30 writers and you know that used to be an insult that your movie had all these writers it's not necessarily better to have more writers on a script so what's it going to be like when a smaller number of people who are much weirder and aren't as good at raising money and making friends what happens what's in their minds i want to see their vision and for gaming and for the rest and so much smaller studios making really weird and interesting stuff i think that, that could be fun
4: it plays into the decentralization kind of of everything uh, theme, and and just creators to the front of the line, right? I mean, this, I mean, the whole UGC platform thing. I was so excited to see Gossamer, the movie, being uh, first launched on UEFN, and um, players having such a big role in influencing the movie line. But it's it's pretty exciting.
0: I think a lot, you know, a lot of people who I'm I'm friendly with and in the film world. You know, do correctly say that this is a collaborative art and that great things come from there's this actor who disagrees with the director, who disagrees with the writer, and they all have to work together to create a masterpiece. And that probably is always going to be the way to get to the most amazing outcomes. It's also the way in which sometimes things completely derail. But it reminds me of a line from Larkin, which is why did he think addition meant increase? To me, it was dilution. And in some cases, more people make it worse and dilute a singular vision in some cases. So I just want to see what that's like. What is it like when one person you know, who's talented and understands the tools wants to make a TV show that has not physically been possible um, so far?
4: You have a history of, of, uh, of experimenting in, in that space, if I'm not mistaken. I remember us talking a while ago about um, collaborative content generation and you have some experience there, did you find the content was watered down and not as interesting? Or were there some gems in there where you thought, wow, all these humans in a decentralized way can actually make something amazing?
0: Well, I don't like that stuff, no. I don't think that works. Um, No, but that's different to Elijah Kazan working with Marlon Brando and Tennessee Williams. You know, these are fierce people at the top of their game versus a kind of... Here are just people all around the place who kind of vaguely are interested in this medium, and will do some stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen that working yet.
4: It comes up a lot in, um, you know, because I spend a lot of time thinking about decentralization and media and entertainment and gaming. And there's so many people who say, "Oh, it isn't going to be great when we can have people all over the world writing a movie." And I'm, I'm, my response is always, "No, that sounds really awful." <laughs>
0: Yeah. Now I'm more excited. I have, I have more faith in something very narrow, where it being one person able to bring their vision to life, like that hasn't been possible. It hasn't really been tried because it isn't. It just isn't viable. And I just have to believe there are people out there with personalities that are so annoying that they just couldn't manage running a set, right, or convincing all their team to work with them. I just, that shouldn't be the only person personality type who's making movies. Orson Welles said, I have to spend 98% of my time hustling and trying to be nice to people and 2% doing what I love. And that's no way to live a life. And he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. So I'd like to have seen more movies by Orson Welles personally.
2: Well, Edward, thank you so much for your time and insights today. It's so cool to dive deeper on what you and Fable are building. And before we stop bothering you, uh, we'd love to ask one more question, given that we were on the topic of content dilution. Uh, You said you are excited about original content, Um, you know, with already existing, uh, already successful uh, pre-existing IP and infinite derivatives created by AI now possible. Um, How does new IP break through the noise, in your opinion?
0: I mean, I think people always want to connect with another human being through art, and derivative content is just that—it's derivative—and so that's why we we don't only have. That's why we have Oppenheimer and Barbie original movies by original visionaries crushing, you know, Marvel 32, like literally making much more money than them. So I think people, you know, they want. what's that thing? It's like that madman thing where he says the most powerful idea in advertising is the new. But there is a second one, which is nostalgia. And so you're talking about that with derivatives, nostalgia, but the new is a more powerful concept than the nostalgia. Um, So I think the new will always be very exciting to people.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much.